Welcome to Colt Wrangler Radio. I am talking to my friend Luke Darling today. How do? Lucas. Yes, sir. With a K. Lucas with a K. Yeah. What's your real name? Gray. Lucas Gray Darling. Yes, sir. That's it. Well, we know you as a cowboy, a musician, and uh, kind of an entrepreneur, really. Yeah, I'd say all those things I'm failing at. Are you failing? <laughs> Are you? I'd say I'm failing at all three. Yes, I, I wouldn't say so. I saw that. Cool, I dabble. I dabble. I saw that cool pickup truck you drove up in. That was uh, your beautiful wife. Yeah, yeah. The house you just bought. Uh, it's to be determined. Yeah, hopefully that goes through. But yeah, yeah. I got the wife. That's almost a year now. And uh, the pickup truck was the result of a lot of learning and a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. And it frustrated me more than I drive it. Oh, they all do. <laughs> I hate them. Yeah, I know you got the same problem. Yeah, anytime I drive in something that's like relatively new, I'm just like, this is amazing. Well, I'm afraid to take that thing out because something's going to break and it's going to ruin my whole damn day. Oh, yeah. Yeah, every time. So now yeah. I've just put myself in a corner where that's my daily driver now. So we'll go. see what happens. Make yeah. sure it holds up. Well, then again, though, it's like that breaks and it's probably not that expensive to fix. And yeah, that's the beauty that of it. Your truck that you just sold, that F-250 that was new, that breaks and that's like, oh, it's at least going to be three grand. Yeah, that breaks and there's some tears on the check for yeah. sure. That, 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 that's a college account for somebody. Uh, yeah, tears they, on the check. Them damn diesels. Yes, sir. Uh, well, we'll get to you for sure, but I mean, we were just sitting outside talking about the Darling family. Yes. And that's an interesting <laughs> subject of its Probably. own. Probably. You said too much. Yeah. So tell us uh, about the Darling family and and uh, what y'all were, uh, did laid brick, huh? That was the thing. Yeah, family of bricklayers, stonemasons from the from the old country, I guess. I, I think my mom's side's more German and English, and Irish and mutts. My dad's side's, which is the Darling side, I think it's Swiss, which I didn't know till recently. I guess his granddad was straight off the boat Swiss. Um, and a, and a mason at that. So yeah, everybody I everybody I grew up with, everybody I know, we all grew up doing that. Yeah, mortar and, and some sort of a masonry. And if they didn't pay, yes, sir, they was, paid. There was results. There, there was, was results. results. They found out ways to get paid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess that's the way. That's the way it had to be. Oh, uh, I was just talking before we came in here. I was like, man, I wish all these conversations we had out here were were the podcast. I, maybe one day they could be. Yeah, they might be. Slightly incriminating at this point. A little incriminating for a lot of different people, but no. That like, how does how does that go about though? If your family, that's what they do. They they what do they call it? Lay brick. Yeah. What's is that the term? Yeah, bricklayer, mason, mason. masonry. Not to be confused with the uh, Masonic temple. <laughs> no involvement in there. I don't think. I don't even know how that works. I, I guess there's got to be family some, members that are. I don't even masons. know how that works. I, I have no idea. I, it's it was. It's like some group of guys that all agreed to elect a leader or something. I have no idea. Uh, yeah. Well, it's just kind of like a club. And then there's a building in every damn town across yep. the United States of America, so they must have done something right. I yeah. Don't know. No, that's an interesting thing. Like, um, I wonder if you know. Well, just did a podcast with Nelson Brewer, and. He's a member of the Elk Lodge, and I just remembered that I didn't bring that up during the podcast. Well, he's but that's a, kind of an interesting thing. He's a proud member of the Elk Lodge. Yes, Elk Lodge. That's kind of the same. He'll it's, sleep in any Elk Lodge parking lot from east to west. You just <laughs> point him at it, and he'll sleep at it. Well, he's got the right. You know, it's actually a, a really good idea he's because a member. it's a place that you always know you got a parking lot. Right. If you're just bumming. There you go. Well, speaking of bumming, rodeo. Yeah. You started rodeoing at young age. 
Uh, not terribly young. Probably eight. No, eighteen. Eighteen or so. Eighteen or so. Uh, I had to kind of seek it. I grew up in Ohio, so it wasn't that easy to be found. But uh, my old man did. He rodeoed growing up, so it was um, it was just sort of there. It wasn't that I there wasn't like a culture around it, but it was something I always knew of and knew I wanted to do. And as soon as I was, as soon as I graduated high school, I started rodeoing. Yeah, riding yeah. bulls. Well, then, if if he was several generations in of doing masonry work and stuff like that, then how did he get in a rodeo? You know, I don't know. I think that was the age of uh, Larry Mahan on the Wheaties box, and if, uh, the kids just wanted to be cowboys still, and I, I, I really don't know. I think it was just sort of something he was interested in. He grew up with horses on a farm and everything else. Um, my granddad, his dad, raced um, buggies. He did the mm. harness races. Yeah. So he was always around mm-hmm. horses. I think he just took it the next step further. And then I think... Actually, when he was like 19 or 20, he started selling like bucking machines to people and stuff too. Like it was, it was similar to this age we're in now, I think, where the Western thing had a big come up just all at once, like a huge bowl to the surface. When would that moment. be like the 70s? That would have been, I th- yeah, the 70s, yeah. early 70s. Because that was kind of my, like my mom. Like mm-hmm. my mom I think it up. was the same. I think they're the same sort of like cut from the same cloth and sense it. Like that was the time when that <clears throat> world was all of a sudden bowled back to the American zeitgeist right back to the surface that's what it seems like yeah and i think we're having a renaissance of it right now yeah i believe so yeah yeah my mom had that that same kind of experience you know it's like well was in high school in the 70s and just kind of grew up in those arcs the 70s just seemed like a magical time everybody i talked to the 70s seemed like it was like the time to be alive in america yeah seems like it you know over there in missouri they were just getting indoor plumbing and yeah, yeah, you know? and rodeo. <laughs> yeah, yes, sir. They were they were moving from the outhouses, and uh, moving in and rodeoing. Yeah, yeah. She had to seek that out, though. You know, is that kind of thing? Is like she was loved horses, and and it was just something. And then it was. I don't know how it was for you, but for her, she had to just go to some like backyard, like punk and rolling, like rodeo. Yeah, you know. Yeah, for yeah. you, That's, that was similar in that sense. I I went to a. Uh, Lyle Sankey bull riding school. Oh, there you go. In Sankey Western school. Ohio. And that was sort of my entrance to it. But, you know, we had the buck and barrel at home and all that stuff. And I'd pay my brothers to buck me around and my little brother would ride and stuff too. And, you know, it was something we just sort of did, you know, a 50 gallon drum with carpet wrapped around it and just spur the hell out of it and just gets people to just jerk it around until you yeah. fell off. Yeah. Was it one y'all made or one your dad was selling? Oh, no, it was one we made. He made, he actually rented or sold the actual hydraulic bucking machines for like bars like he oh, would actually like go those. around and like okay, sell not those like, as, like a, a side business yeah yeah but yeah. and if for people that don't know there is a difference between those that are inflatable with the hide and the horns and the whole yeah, deal the whole, and like, the ones there's that the are, urban cowboy ones and then there's the one you make in your backyard which are like a 50 gallon drum with four trees around it with bungee cords and rope and you just those belly roll out of it yeah yeah yeah, practice actual practice ones i think i don't remember i think i think my brother got pretty well hurt on it like pretty well i bet yeah you go from straight up to 90 to the ground pretty quick yeah those i think i've been on a couple and and they were wild like they just go everywhere but yeah so i I, i'm trying to remember who it was that um created the the uh known bull rider who created the mighty bucky Terry Holland. Yeah. It was Terry Holland. Yeah. The Mighty Bucky 
and the mighty uh, bronchi, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And uh, so it was, he took that idea of the barrel and and yeah. the springs, and mm-hmm. then they would put like padding over it. Yeah, but it was like a transportable unit that you could take. Yes. There was one at like that school and everything, and then you got like, and then they've taken that and expounded upon it a hundred times. You got like Link Weaver up around Wyoming that's got his bucket machine and everything else like they've they've perfected it for sure so we we had one growing up and and uh my parents they were friends with terry and we ended up with one and so i always grew up having one of those you yeah know, ride them all the time yeah them and things will wear you out if we ended up taking the, them to school we had in. we left it at school for like several years no kidding and everyone would ride it at school yeah I yeah mean, and, it's pretty accurate <laughs> it's, it's it's got a good feel to it yeah it does and then uh you know, but then now the thing is, is is the drop barrels, so the 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 leverage is different on it, and it makes oh, a lot more sense. the springs are from the front versus right. the back. The, yeah. the pivot point on the Mighty Bucky's is right in the center of the barrel, so it's back forth, back forth, yeah. back forth, and and it does help your basics, but that's not really how a bull bucks. Yeah, and same thing with the ones at the bar. It's like that's that's. It's a different thing. It's altogether. a totally different yeah. thing. Well, with the drop barrel, the pivot points behind the barrel, mm. and it just drops like way yeah, yeah. down. Yeah, you got that come, real where they're real it heavy. It really and, drops yeah. down and really picks up, yeah. which is more, more natural realistic. motion. Yeah. yeah, more realistic. Yeah, and that's kind of now the standard. Mm. And I and I, I'm wondering if I would think by now like the mighty Buggies out. You know, I don't know. I literally have not. I was at a Gary Lafuse school, and and he was talking about it. Cause, uh, was he doing the mighty Buggies? Thing still? No, he was talking about the drop barrel, and, and he talked a lot. Of, he talked to you know Gary. Well, that's the guy that knows for sure. Yeah, he is. I mean, but Terry Holland was a bull rider for sure. That sucker could he could stick it on one. And but Gary, you know how he is. He's just he's like eh, that's the biggest idiot who ever created one of those. <laughs> you know, it's just like I'm the best, and everybody else is the worst. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> kind of. That's, that's uh, most worlds. Yeah. Yeah, and I love Gary, but it it was kind of like oh. When he starts talking like that, it's like, well, you know, Terry's a pretty good guy. He's also a pretty good bull rider. Yeah, and who knows? There's there's ulterior motives with all that. Everybody's trying to make a living off rodeo, and after you're 30 years old, that gets hard no matter what yeah. you're in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, no, that was uh, that was the bucket machines that, that we grew up with were, were those. And I think we did have a barrel with the, the springs tied from different trees at one point. Yeah. You know, yeah, those are the belly rolling ones. Yeah, that's real the hard typical backyard kid. That was the eliminator buckle barrel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> bucking yeah. barrel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so your dad kind of got in a rodeo on his own. You said his his dad was racing buggies and yep. and whatnot. And then, so you grew up seeing your dad. What he rode bulls or what all he did? He he rode bulls. He bareback and saddlebronc. I think saddlebronc less than others. I think his main event was bareback. Gotcha. Yeah. So all three. Yep. What about you? Uh, just bulls. Just bulls. Yeah, it's it was just the easiest thing. It was the uh, coolest thing at the time. PBR is kicking off. I mean, we're talking 2008. You know, it yeah. was like God status if you were a PBR bull rider. So, And it's the cheapest one to get into, honestly. And it's it the very, easiest to sort of do and just sort of hop on some local hoppers and, and say you rode a bull. Yeah. No, it is. I mean, a few hundred bucks of gear, you know, if you... If you're getting stuff used, hand me down stuff or yeah. whatever, and, and yeah. you're you're on your way. So I was using my old man's stuff forever, and I actually drew this Brendel Bull in Jackson Hole that uh, 
broke it. Yeah, like I, I had him at first jump. He just broke my hand. Hold like it's just old McGay. It's just dry. It's old McGay. Yeah, like grass yeah. bore mm-hmm. open. Yeah, it just busted. And I, I thought my- I had this son of a bitch. I was so ready for him. And yeah. Oh, that sucks. Well, I rode you know, my dad's stuff for forever, and he still got a lot of it too. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't. I mean, I wasn't that good. I just I, I enjoyed the lifestyle. I enjoyed the hell out of lifestyle. Well, that's the thing about it too. Is like <clears throat> just. Just going and doing it. I mean, that's why it's like a bucket list thing, right? It's yeah. almost right up there with skydiving or like bungee jumping or something. There's a lot of people that do it once. Yeah. As like as a an check- experience. Yeah. Right. And then there's the guys that do it every once in a while and then like label themselves with that mm-hmm. so that they perpetually have that glory. Yeah. Right. But they're not really yeah. putting in the time and yeah. the effort. I'm one of those guys. No, you're not. no, you're not. No, you're not. No, I, I, mean, I see them. They're like going no, these little spins and, and, and helping fight or whatever. You see these guys, you're like, this guy is, he's not going to try. And he's going to have his rope so dadgum sticky and yeah. so crazy. Yeah. Because you can mark an X on the gun. He wants to sit off. back there and rub his rope for two hours just to like look and talk yeah, about it. They're the guys that are taped up, ready to go, fucking two hours before the perf happens. <laughs> and they're just like in the stands with their girl, just right. like taped up. And they but then somehow they're not, to... when they're sitting over the shoot, they're not ready for whatever reason or, you know. But there's always those, those guys. And, and so it is kind of an interesting sport to where it, if you do it enough, like the people that don't do it aren't aren't gonna say like you're a poser or, or they're not gonna give you any sort of crap at all, right? Because it's like they're not gonna do it, yeah, right. But then there's those guys in the middle that that really don't want it that bad. They really don't want to get any better. They just yeah enough to like show up yeah and go and be back there yeah you know the sport the sport has a lot of weird like different levels to it. Maybe others do too. I just haven't been around. A lot of other things. And, the, and like the bulls you're dealing with nowadays and just the, the, the amount of athleticism that goes into the bulls and the rider anymore, it's just so, it's so specialized. It's, it just seems crazy, these, like, these bulls that these guys are riding. It's insane. Well, they are, yeah. And then you see these guys and they're like 14, 15 years old just like spanking it on them. I know, man. It's, 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 it's crazy. It, like anything, human beings take it as far as they can. You yeah. Know, it's just, it's crazy. It is a very glorious sport, though. You know, there is that, and, and, and that's what makes it so addicting, I think, and, and hard and hard to quit or hard because your identity can get wrapped up in mm. it so much, you know? Like anything, for sure, but I don't know. It's, for a young guy, that's all they want is to look tough and to do something that's dangerous. That's an 18-year-old mentality. Yeah. That's what it is. That's why you can send them off to war. They don't bat an eye. Right, yeah. The, the older you get, the more you look back and like, that's was stupid right i knocked right. all my teeth out right. and you know i owe 20 grand and damn dental bills and stuff but it, it is it was what it was yeah it's a it's a it's a fun thing though i don't know i every once in a while i get the itch but most of the time i'm just like i had to itch for a minute until i seen our buddy trey get molly whopped up there in montana were like, you there when that happened, or did uh, yeah. you see the video? You were there? I was there. I was the one, As soon as he hit the ground, I just started running towards him because I knew he was KO'd. And I just... So, oh, man. Poor Trey. So yeah. talk about that. Trey Taylor, which we plan to have on the podcast uh, 
shortly. Hopefully in the next couple. He weeks. just got sunfish and he got like just put back. He was just on his arm bad and bareback thing, riding. He was over the he spurred over the neck. Yeah, bareback riding. He spurred over the neck and he was on the end of his arm all the way on one side and then that horse just took that momentum all the way to the other side and just I mean, lawn darted his ass. So he went forward. No, not forward. I'm talking from left all the way at the end of his arm and oh. stretched out to that horse feeling him over there and then doing the opposite to him just. 180 degrees straight into the dirt and just, yeah, Molly whopped him. And he broke a vertebrae, huh? Yeah, he hurt himself pretty good. But, I mean, when he come to, I was like, I, I don't need to be around this shit anymore. Yeah. Well, the bareback's the worst. That's the worst wrecks I've ever seen. Yeah. I've seen them get drug around the arena and, and, like, pickup men or bullfighters or whatever have to cut the gird off of them, mm. you know? It's no, like, it's definitely like that's a breakdown, right? That was always the breakdown is that bareback's most physical, bull riding's the most dangerous, and saddlebunk's most technical. That was always the breakdown I'd always heard. Yeah. I've always heard that. Well, I guess, yeah, bull riding's probably the most dangerous. Uh, say, it's dangerous in the sense that you got to get up and get going once you're down. Right. Bareback's the hardest on your body. It's the most physical. Yeah, the most physical. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of, that's basically the same thing. Yeah. I've heard too. and It's a train wreck no matter if you're doing it right or wrong. Well, that's the thing. It's one of those sports that's that's like, it's uncontrollable. Yeah, you know, yeah. and and what's I don't think a lot of the general public doesn't realize is that those people, contestants, no matter what level they're at, they have to pay to be there. Could you imagine? This is why I can't watch like football or like especially basketball and stuff, and they get bumped the wrong way and they get all dramatic and they're flopping around on the floor. Yeah, it's almost incentivized it's, to. It's, uh, to upplay yes. injury, right? It Whereas is. in the rodeo world, it's it's you have to downplay the injury. Imagine if those guys had to pay like a thousand dollars to play the game. I mean, at their wages, I mean, shit, make it fifty grand to play this game. Imagine, and then, you know, there's some real stakes, right? That's but that's the thing. It's like they're they're getting paid no matter what, and then they're also getting sponsorships and deals yeah. on the back end. Whereas like rodeo people have to get sponsorships just to like pay the gas or the injury fees to get to where they're at yeah and then and then pay a bunch of money to enter and then potentially lose it all yeah. or get themselves really hurt and then there's no real protection on the back end no and i just don't think like people see rodeo they see the pbr and stuff on tv but i don't think that they understand that i think that no, they why think would it's they? like every other sport, right? Why would they? It's like a blood sport. It's a gladiator sort of uh, mentality as far as the, pers- the, the the viewership perspective is like you don't want to see somebody get hurt, but at the same time you're looking for somebody to get hurt. Right. That's that's the attraction. That's the draw. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it, it definitely makes it interesting. But the fact that, I don't know, when, when, when people get in the pro sports it's like they're pretty well taken care of when they get to that point now they have to perform yeah to stay there yeah right but it's on them to perform not right. on their pocketbook to perform right or their 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 need to get to the next event to perform you're right with yeah. rodeo and, and, and it's like they're paying hundreds or thousands of dollars in entry fees and everything's financially and physically and mentally everything is on you mm-hmm. you know and so it i don't know that's why it just makes it in my mind, it's just the rowdiest American sport there is. Well, it's was it baseball and football and rodeo? What else we got? Yeah, those are the American sports. Yeah, that's it. That's all we got. But it's just, but rodeo is just so different from the others. 
Yeah, you know, True and, I, and I think because yeah, of I that. do think you're right in the sense that the the, uh, the the viewing public has no idea what is going on behind the scenes or how those guys make it there or, or what their what their incentive is for being there. Right, and it's all monetary. Right. Yeah, they drive themselves there, mm. pay for all the fuel, pay for all the expenses, mm. have to pay the entry fees, have to to call in ahead of time at a certain time. Yeah. To even be able to enter. Yeah. And if they miss that window, they can't even get in. Yeah, and then it's based on a draw, which is just random ass luck, right. which is like whether you, whether or not you got a, something that's going to take you to winning money. You know, it's 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 very much a crapshoot. Yeah, it's just it's it's pretty badass. You know, and it's I'm glad it's different. Got, the more I think about it's like the as as the sport progresses, I you want to see like these guys cater to more like they are in other professional sports. But at the same time, it's like, well, would it make it what it is? No, because these guys are very independent. They're their own brand. These guys that are doing it well and doing it right get all the same perks that your uh, athletes in other sports do. It's you got to be good. It's a meritocracy. Yeah. Be good or go home hurt. That's yep. it. Yeah. It's very much a meritocracy. And it's very unfair. Too. Of course. You know? I mean, you could you could do everything right and still get hurt or do everything right and get a mm-hmm. no no score or you know, and and the, you you could pout, you can cry all you want. But it ain't gonna do you no good. It ain't gonna change. And that and that's why I hate, you know, watching these other sports I can't hardly do it. Because well, it's like there's your it, problem right there, Colts. You're watching other sports. Who they, cares? They get by. You're right. <laughs> well, I don't. I don't really. But when it when you happen to, or you're hanging out with friends and it's on TV, or yeah, you're at something and I, somebody gets I've bumped and, sports. and they roll around on the ground. It's just like, oh come on. That honestly though, that's why I I do like hockey. I have been to one hockey game before, and that was the coolest shit I ever seen. Yeah, because like those guys are bashing each other around and then they get to the point where they're pissed off and they say screw the game screw everything and they just throw gloves on the ground they just start throwing throwing hands in the rule book yeah it's it's interesting and i like that like i I went to one game and uh uh we were actually at a i was with my parents and we were at one of the aqha horse events Mm -hmm. or something in houston and a friend there took uh me and their kid and i think my brother to one of the hockey games is like the Houston Arrows or something like yeah. that. And uh, I'll never forget it. We went and there was three three fights in within that game. And like this, the second fight was all of both teams. So all of both teams threw all their gear off, threw their gloves <laughs> off, and just went to town. Yeah. And it was just, there was just... The, the rink was just littered with gear and stuff, and everybody was just going town. I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. This is, I like this. Yeah. Right? It makes more sense. Right. Because it wasn't like them being upset and rolling around and trying to act hurt. It was like, no, I'm upset, and so I'm going to try to kick your ass. <laughs> <I'm upset. laughs> you know, to prove why we're right or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I just, I don't know. There's just something about it. It's like, oh, okay. That's the one team sport that I can kind of get behind. Yeah, yeah. My problem with team sports is I don't want people to have to depend on me. Like I, I, right. I like it very much to just be on me and and, and against me because I I feel terrible when I let a team down. Right. But you know if you're letting yourself down, that's all internal and you can deal with that. But 
I know. I was guilt-stricken, like, playing baseball and stuff growing up. If you, like, missed a catch or something, it was miserable. You'd beat yourself up forever about it. Yeah. I I don't know. I was terrible at those kind of deals. You played baseball in school? High school? or? Uh, yeah, high school, a little freshman team. That was it. It started cutting into hunting season, and I just bailed <laughs> on it. But it was uh, it was good. Yeah, I played baseball growing up. I was actually pretty good, but just didn't care enough. Yeah. It wasn't something realistically I was going to do. I remember I was, my old man asking me what I wanted to do when I grew up, and I was like, I want to be a baseball player. He's like, yeah, but seriously, what do you want to do? <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Well, I guess that's how that goes. Uh, but when you said you want to be a bull rider, he was like, oh, okay. Well, that was something he could wrap his head around. He wasn't one for organized sports or anything like that. He was more of an independent He's like, that makes more sense. Guy. Yeah, and he was willing to give us all the information that we wanted. He wasn't going to force it on you, though. Yeah. But if you asked the right questions, he'd give you the right answers. That was kind of him. He, you had to go do your own research or or uh, go do it and come back. By example, more than anything. Did any of your other siblings rodeo at all? or uh, Little brother messed around with it a little bit, yeah. Older brother didn't have anything to do with it. But uh, what'd your little brother do? He messed around with bulls a little bit. Um, yeah, I mean a, a very small amount, but I was the only one that actually did it for at least a little bit of time. I mean, I didn't do it that long, man. It was like to call me a bull rider is to say that you know I hung the moon. Like it's just like I was not a bull rider. I messed around with the lifestyle. I wasn't that good. How many I, bulls did you I get loved on? it? Probably. Shoot. I don't know. I'd have to say 50 or better, probably. Okay. Something like that. Gotcha. And from what I understood, if you didn't, if your first hundred are a blur, so. Yeah. That's what I've always heard. Yeah. But I just like messing around. I love the, um, the getting by aspect of all of it. I love that everybody was broke and on the road and just getting by. <laughs> yeah. That was my favorite. And everybody sleeping where they, where they landed and just whatever they could do to get by. That, that, um, that attracted me so much to that world. That yeah. sort of go out there and, you know, um, find yourself and just live in the mud for a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that's that's really how it is. It, <laughs> speaking of that, just I remember uh, <clears throat> you went to a Sankey school mm -hmm. and uh, both my parents rode bulls, so I didn't really... And then they knew a bunch of bull riders, so I didn't really need to go to bull riding school. You know, I had plenty of yeah, yeah. people around Teachers. me and stuff and everything. But uh, I started getting interested in, in Saddle Bronc. And Saddle Bronc still is like, I think it's the most iconic sport in yeah, rodeo. for sure. Period, you know. And I, uh, so when I was about 14 or 15, I went to a, um Edinburgh school mm -hmm. in Oklahoma. And... Uh, I remember it was, it was Robert Ettenbauer and went out there and we, uh, I went out there with my godfather, uh, Rock Dickey and we were staying and he's team roper and we were staying in his trailer, you know, living quarters or whatever. He drove me out there and, uh, there was one of the guys that was going to the school and he was in a little F-150 and he was just sleeping in a sleeping bag on the rodeo grounds outside. You know. Yeah, see, I like that. Yeah, I would always do that. I, yeah. I still will just pull over and sleep at a rodeo ground if I'm like 
just getting too tired to drive. It's actually a really good place to Yeah, and you, to park. you park next to the, the toilet and everything, and you got a place to brush your teeth in the morning. It's the perfect spot. It's 100%. like you got this inside. It's like the yeah. Elk Lodge. <laughs> well, that, you're right. Like the Elk Lodge. But that, that was, uh, you know, that arena was their kind of hometown arena, and they had access to one of the buildings there, and they had all their stock there. And, and if, if you weren't staying at a hotel and you were going to stay there on a trailer or whatever, you would just park there. And, mm-hmm. So there was quite a, there was a decent amount of people there. You yeah. Know? And I remember it was like 7.30 in the morning, Robert Entenbauer pulls up beside this guy's truck, and he's sleeping on the ground, and he just starts honking his horn, and this guy's in his sleeping bag just jerks mm-hmm. up, you know. He's like, all right, we're getting on some Bronx, mm-hmm. you know. It was just, I'll never forget that. I was like 14 yeah, or 15 years old. Yeah, it's that living close to the bone that I just loved, and hearing yeah. them old stories from my dad and everything like that. He's just, you you just, as a young man, you just, you sort of hunger for that. Yeah. That just adventure, that hawk your pocket knife for gas money to get home thing is, I love that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you don't love it at the time, I don't think, you know? No, but I, I, I think I had enough wherewithal to realize that, you know, this is, a, this is a ticking clock on this thing and to just soak it up, and I did. Yeah. I mean, me too, like, like you said, you know, you, you're just more of a lover of the sport, and I, I feel like I was the same way. Like, I got on more, you know, I, I was, got on probably several hundred bulls and probably like 50 Bronx or so, and just you know uh you know was 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 going for it at one point but i think deep down it was just because i love the sport yeah deep down it was more like i want to get this i i I want to experience this right from the bottom up yeah and i knew for a fact i wasn't going anywhere with it i just loved it i love the lifestyle behind it yeah yeah, same with me. I mean, the same with my involvement in it now, and just like helping fight bulls and stuff like that. Yeah, it's, it's a, really it's just a, because I want to be. But it's around an interesting. It. It's a sport. great community. It's a it's a super great community, and they all help each other out. And it's smaller than you think, and it's 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 a great community to be a part of. And yeah, and I'm happy to have done it and been a part of it for sure. So, what came first, like the cowboying or the rodeo stuff? Um, it was kind of all at once. As soon as I graduated high school. Uh, Two days after high school, I had a Toyota Tacoma that I put a cap on, and I built drawers in it and had a clothes hanger in it and an air mattress in it, and I just left, and I just never went back. I um, I was rodeoing and trying to get jobs cowboying throughout Wyoming, and I ended up landing at a few different places, and it was all by happenstance and just who you met and just going knocking on doors asking for work. Right. Yeah. It wasn't by any design. It was like I'm just... I'm do I'm putting myself at the ground level and we'll see what happens. See what happens. Well, how did it work out? I think it worked out good. I, I met some of the best people I ever met in my life. I still talk to him today. I mean, I went and knocked on the door of a guest ranch in Jackson Hole and he, he said I got fourteen people on payroll and I just wanted to chase good looking girls around because that's what a guest ranch is for and it's like I got fourteen people on payroll, but you know we could probably use one more. And I was like, shit, yeah. And I, he's like, park a truck. And I was like, great. But it was literally just by going and knocking on doors and I was living down by the river and everybody heard of me and they'd like, who's this guy living down by the river and looking for work? <laughs> so he was just the one that gave in and let me get a job. How old were you at that time? 18. 18? Yeah. Just graduated high school? Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I went first to Cody, Wyoming. Um, I went and was packing mules. I wanted to be a mountain man, essentially, and, and, and <clears throat> guide elk hunters and things like that. And I did that for a fall and um, then went to Jackson, got a job on a guest ranch the next summer. But, yeah, I, I, I initially went out there rodeoing, and then I got a job packing mules and guiding elk hunters and Cody. How long did you do that for? I only did that for that season as far as guiding because I just didn't like the pressure of it all as an 18-year-old. And you got these guys that are, you know, 50-plus that spent their whole – they've saved up for 10 years to go on this elk hunt. And it's, it's a lot of pressure to try to kill them a six-by, you know. And I didn't think about it that. It was a lot. And I just – it wasn't for me. I, I more got along with packing mules. So I ended up um, packing mules for probably four seasons after that, just being a packer. Hmm. One anything. I'd do a trip, a trip a week there and back, usually, which it was 36 miles in a horseback with eight mules. And then you'd do 36 miles back out to the trailhead with eight mules. That's a lot. It was a lot. I've never done miles anything a trip, like that. A week. And uh, it was, man, it was great. You know, I'll tell you, you find yourself and it's just you and eight mules and 36 miles between and nothing. I mean, yeah. it's, it's great. I'm so happy to have had that experience. So do you just, like, it's probably a stupid question, but do you just graze them while you're along, or do you have to pack feed for them? Or like, no, you, you can ride that and what was it, shoot 15 hours or something. But they had, uh, the outfit I was working for when I was doing 36 miles in, they had a they had a lower camp, which was 17 miles in, and then you do the rest after. Um, you'd stay the night and then go on. Or sometimes, if you didn't have meals, you could long trot out in a day. Yeah. But I remember one time... I was uh, trying to be fancy, and there was this Canon, the photography company, was doing a photo shoot for the ranch I was working for, and they were just getting people to come down and just do wild shit. Yeah. And I got on this horse that literally got dropped off the night before, this buckskin horse named Snickers, and he, we didn't know anything about him, so I saddled him up and went down there and wanted to go hoorah around on a, you know, get my picture made, and <laughs> I got bucked off like twice. I got hung up in the stirrup and freaking windmilled around, and then... I broke my wrist when I come off the first time, and then I kept riding around, and then I went down when we was we was running across the river for pictures, and then that horse went down to his chest on the sandbar, and I planted that broke wrist Ugh. to catch myself from bumping my head on his, and uh, broke it worse, but I didn't know any better, and then I had to pack into camp that same day because this was at six in the morning, and by eight I was I was having to pack mules and go like I was by myself, and, and I wasn't gonna say I was hurt because that was a stupid way to get hurt, you know, a damn photo shoot. So we went over, I was actually packing in feed for the, for the horses that are at camp and to go get that feed, we had to go to the neighbor's ranch for a creek and they had all the feed in their barn cause it was to keep it away from the bears and stuff. And I drove up to that barn and I started loading out feed and, you know, I loaded out feed with a broke wrist and I go to driving out the, the driveway and these forest rangers go, what the hell are you doing? And I was like, what are you talking about? I'm like, where'd you guys come from? And they're like, we was trapping a grizzly bear. You walked past that trap every time you loaded a sack of feed. And I was like, I, it smelled shitty. It smelled like roadkill. I didn't know what was going on. He's like, you just ruined our whole morning. Like, we was trying to trap a grizzly bear th that morning, and you just ruined it. Like, he was hanging out right behind you as you was loading feed. Oh, my God. And I was like, oh, shit. And I was like, well, that sucks. And I went to the trailhead, and I packed my mules, and I started taking off, and my wrist is swelling up. And I was like, God dang it. 
like it hurts. So I had my wild rag, I think, and I wrapped it around. I had baling twine and I wrapped uh. it. And I had my wrist up. And, you know, I got eight mules and there's nobody to help you. So you're just in the middle of nowhere with eight mules going. And I stopped at Spring Creek and I just was laying there with my damn arm in the river trying to get the swelling to go down. And and uh, these forest rangers come up on me too. They're like, are you hurt? And I was like, yeah, I think I broke my wrist. And they're like, well, shit, like, let's get you taken care of. I'm like, I can't. I got to get this feed to camp. And they're like, okay, well, hey, you're an adult. And I went to camp. I went all the way to camp. And I got to camp and there was actually a doctor that was hunting. And... um he come up and was looking at it, and it was literally black and blue. And he's like looking at it. He's like, you broke your wrist. And he's like, you better get down and get to the hospital. And I was like, shit. And uh, I go I go up to the boss, man, and I'm like, hey, boss, like, I broke my wrist. You think I can long trot out of here? I can make it in a day if I long trot. He's like, you brought eight mules up. You can take eight mules back. And I was like, shit. Oh, man, that's so I was rough. Two, I was like four days with a broke wrist. Uh. Yeah. Oh, that's tough. Yeah, and that's just one of the many stories that go on with that type of stuff. Man. It's just, it's, but it's great for a young man, and it's the best stuff that can happen I, to you. I kind of have a similar story, not nearly as dramatic, but uh, when I moved to San Antonio and I started my little bike shop, and uh, I got on, I got on a little segment of of AMC uh, uh, with Ride with Norman Reedus, which I mm-hmm. think is still a show. I think they're still doing that. I know what you mean. Yeah. So. They came. One of the stops that they did on the ride was at was at my shop, and um, did that whole deal. And then after that, I had all these production companies and people hit me up for all kinds of stuff. I'm like 23, 24 years old, and so I end up signing this deal with this production company to film uh, a sizzle reel mm-hmm. to try to get a pilot for a TV show. And so this guy's coming down for like three or four days, and he's the guy that shot the sizzle reel for the show Diesel Brothers. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, and like other shows similar to that. Yeah. You know, so he's like camera guy and producer. It's like a one-man show. He comes down, he shoots enough to get interest, to get enough money to do a full pilot. Yeah. Right. And then hopefully a show. Yeah, yeah. So he comes down and we're running around and uh, I was going to my friend's shop to like go check out some of his stuff for the show and then we were leaving there and... I had been getting into this pretty good little habit of going sideways around turns mm-hmm. on my Sportster. Just oh, yeah. kicking it sideways and coming Oh, yeah, showing close. off. Showing being off. Being Joe Cool. Showing off being Joe Cool. And I was gotten pretty good at it. Well, I was like, well, I'm on camera. Might as well <laughs> do it. That's when you get hurt is when you're the Might best well at it. Might as well do it now. <laughs> yeah. Went around that corner and uh, took a spill and went to go catch myself like that. And landed on my wrist, and and my adrenaline's going, and the guy's in the minivan following us with the yeah. camera. You know, he pulls over, he pulls, gets out, gets the camera, is like trying to catch it, you know, all and stuff. And I'm like, oh, I'm fine. I pick up the bike, and I'm like, oh, it's all good, you know, just scraped up, got some holes on my shirt, and my jeans, and my boots and stuff. Yeah. And uh, we got about a ten minute ride back to the shop, and I'm riding. And I'm like, fuck, this hurts, you know. And I like I can't pull the clutch in hardly on the oh, bike, shit. and because it's that left hand. Yeah, yeah. And uh, by the time I get back, I'm just like, mm, it's it's messing with me. That was the first day of the shoot. There was like two or three more yeah. days, and uh, yeah, it screwed me up for the whole deal. Like, yeah, it was hard. It was bothering me the whole time. Did it cost your deal? No, no, it it, it didn't. Like then that, I never know what happened with it. 
they left it. Just I, went to and the I, ether. I never like saw it. It things. went to the ether. Yeah. 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 And there was more stuff that came down the pike from that, but uh, it just sucked because like it was just on my mind the whole time, and it was bothering <laughs> yeah, yeah. me. I don't think I broke it, but I'm I probably just fractured it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It, it hurt for months after. Yeah, it always does. I mean, shit. I, I think it, nothing truly heals it. There's like a sore to anything you've broke or banged up, in my experience. Yeah, yeah. I, I I feel like most of the time after a year or so, it starts to go away. Yeah, I think I'm healed up till I go to lift something super heavy and you feel your damn bones flex and you're like, oh my god. Well, maybe that's because... You broke it and didn't get to go to the hospital for another week or yeah, so. Yeah, yeah, I had to go to the hospital, but I was being Joe Cool, Mister Tough too, and I wouldn't wear the brace and what they do. The cast what off. they do anything or? It was like a fracture, so it was like a it was like a brace, and then um, I didn't wear it, of course. Oh, was, you know. Oh, I put a brace on like the next day. Yeah, they gave me for that. myself. I didn't wear it. Yeah. I didn't want any preferential treatment. That's not that cool. <laughs> I was like, yeah, anything to get this to go away. Like I wasn't thinking that way, man. For a time, you're just an idiot when you're that young. I still, I still like shoot. The last thing that happened to me was uh, this past year. Um, I fractured my radius right here. I got hooked by this bull, and uh, you fractured that. When yeah, you did that. No I did. Shit. I did fracture it, and I found a workaway outside of going to the hospital. I uh, have a friend who his brother-in-law's a chiropractor, and chiropractors can prescribe. An x-ray. Mm. So you he calls his brother-in-law and said, hey, can you prescribe an x-ray for my friend? Sure. Prescribes it. I go over to this x-ray place. I pay $50. They take Oh, a that's shot. all that was? They, Shit. They, yeah. 50 bucks. They take a shot of it. They send it back to him. I don't get to see it. They send it to him. He looks at it. Yep, you fractured it. And he kind of told me like what to do. And basically, it's like you got to demobilize it. Yeah. So I was, I was thinking the opposite. I was thinking... Man, if I don't stretch this out, maybe it's gonna heal weird, and I'm not gonna be able to use it. Yeah. So I was like going hard. Yeah. I was trying to do everything, and I was making it worse, and it was swelling up, and it just then it, it it didn't want to move. Yeah, that's where I was at. Too. So you put a brace on it, you put a sling on it, and you don't yeah, move it, and just it heals faster. It. But I I think uh I think it was the same wrist. I broke this wrist when I was a kid too, or this arm, uh, getting bucked off a four wheeler, and <laughs> they. When it healed, it healed crooked, like had a dish in That's it. That's what I'm worried about. But it that. did that, and the doctor's like, well, we can re-break it. And right. I was like, fuck that. Yeah, <laughs> I don't want that. that. I want a crooked arm, please. And I've heard about that, and I've heard they just take a little hammer and just whop you. <sighs> have you heard that? I mean, I've heard. I imagine that's how they have to do it, but I've why not, would I do that? I'd rather have a crooked arm. I've heard they do that. and mm I mean, that, like, the arm, it's like, if you're going to hit me somewhere, okay, hit me in the arm. But imagine other places like the sternum or something. Like, I fractured my sternum, and I want to say I heard a story of somebody that healed, and they had to break it, re-break the sternum. It's like... I guess with the sternum, there's some stuff that has to set right, but, I mean, I'd rather have a crooked sternum if there's an option, I guess. Ooh. I'd rather have a dish in my chest I could eat cereal out of. I have one. (laughs) I've always had one. (laughs) <laughs> you can, see you can, you can. i have the worst everyone in my family has it my 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 brother my dad you got a me. dish in your chest oh yeah and i, I have the biggest no one look look you can't see the touch oh damn look. it's pretty deep yeah yeah evidently they get so deep you put some cheerios in it yeah oh you can but evidently they get so deep that <laughs> some people have to have surgery to to fix them pump them back out yeah i fractured that bone but it 
I basically I just had to sit still and not mess around for a while. And uh, it, yeah, it was funny hey, that's though. That's the deal with them chest. Anything in the chest, there's not much you can do. No. Oh, I couldn't imagine breaking it. I fractured it, and and that that sucked. I mean, you could. It hurt to sit down. It hurt to breathe. It hurt to sneeze. Yeah, that sucks. You know. Yeah. But so you were uh, working in in Jackson Hole. There yep. at a kind of a dude ranch kind of thing. And so I went from Cody, Wyoming to Jackson Hole. Uh, I was in Moran's more specifically up there in the Buffalo Valley, and. Uh, worked there for a while. In the summers, we did duder stuff. In the falls, we did a camp, which was the 36-mile-in camp for outfitting. And in the winter, we did snowmobile tours in Yellowstone and up on the Continental Divide, which was fun as shit. Um, and then from there, I met some people. I got a job as like a working cowboy down in Dubois, Wyoming, um, which was a, a buddy of mine who's still one of my best good friends, uh, Sam Ingalls. Who hooked me up with a job down there, you know, doing a cowboy thing and all that, and did that for a while. Shoot, then I then he ran off to the oil patch, and I did the same. And um, I went to the oil patch for about three years there too to make some real money. Did that, come out, did a fencing company, and it's just on and on. Fencing company that was in Durango, Colorado. My folks had since moved out there, and I went to visit them and and and. Uh, saw that there's a need for some fence and just started a business. And from there, I guess I went to Montana. Montana got involved with some photo shoot stuff, things like that up there. And then um, from there, Idaho, Idaho to here, to Texas. Yeah. And uh, we got land down here in Texas and we just hopefully bought a house. Mm-hmm. But we're hoping to build on this land as well out of this house is the idea. Yeah. And you probably know a decent amount about fixing the house and doing all that brickwork and stuff like that. A little, yeah. My old my old man, um, he built spec houses as well. Growing up, we were we spent some time in Northern California as well. Um, living, my dad would build spec houses out there, and he just an what's all a around. spec house? It's a house that you build before it's sold. You just build it, and then you try to sell it later. Oh, gotcha. So um, he did a bunch of them, built a whole neighborhood, and um, yeah, that was when I was real young. But he's just an all-around construction hand. He knows it top to bottom. Yeah. But he also rodeoed and all that. And Did your dad, like, stuff. cowboy at all, too? Or? He cowboyed a little. He, he worked at King Ranch, I guess, a little bit. And oh, really? Go out to... He he actually built the block cookhouse out at um, Fish Creek on the Spanish Ranch in Nevada and worked out there a little bit, running supplies and, and things. And, and for the sheep herders, the old, the old Basque boys out there... Um, yeah, he's, I was just sort of such a hybrid kid. It's hard to explain. Like grew up in Ohio, but we spent every summer chasing dad around the West. He was still rodeoing and things too. So I had a really good, uh, example of both. And I was just way more interested in the Western lifestyle than I was anything in Ohio. Yeah. Even though that's where my mom and dad are both from. Yeah. Dang. That is pretty interesting. Yeah. Well, what you, you also had, uh, Clothing company for a little bit. Yeah, for a minute there. I, I, I liked it. was something, it was before everybody and their dog had a clothing company, but um, called Drifting Irons. And it was kind of rodeo centric. And I was just trying to get some bull riders and, and bullfighters and, and people like that sponsored. And I was in, actually, I left out all of the time I lived in Cave Creek, Arizona. And when I was in Cave Creek, I did quite a bit of that. 
and yeah, it just sort of, it went, and it was, actually did pretty well, but I just sort of fizzled on it, I just wasn't about, I don't know, I just, it didn't interest me. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of doing, it's a lot of shipping, it's a lot of dealing with customers that, oh, this is wrong, that's wrong, and I just said, hell with it. Yeah. Yeah. But the the funny thing is, it's like, now especially, I feel like you're still pretty damn involved in like, Well, that was the, the one benefit of that thing, was that it industry. introduced me into that world. Yeah. With the photographers and the different brands and things. And um, doing some of that when I was in Montana. So you, you do a lot of modeling. You still do. I mean, not, yeah. I mean modeling is an As in like being a cowboy and being on a horse just, and Yeah, lifestyle. stuff like that. Yeah, and knowing some people and, and knowing some ranches and knowing some places to do some things. And you're a very fashionable guy. At the same time. I don't know about that. You are. That's you your, are. That's it's subjective. You, you, you uh... I, I take some I, I take some notes from from what you wear sometimes I'm like oh I like that you're always wearing like simple tees I like the classic stuff I love right. Americana and I just would I, if anything I could emulate it would be that that yeah. that sort of fifties mentality of just like you don't need all this shit yeah like you look just as cool as in a pair of Levi's and a white shirt as you do in the latest designer stuff. Well, that's you. You're that guy that's like in a white shirt well, and Levi's and, and Vans. There's some staples. King Ropes hat. There's just some staples that you just stick with. There is some staples. And, yeah, I'm kind of figuring that out myself a little bit. But, um, yeah, so you, that kind of opened the doors for you, I guess. What what? Because you, lately you've been doing a lot of, I say lately, since I've known you, it seems like, you do a lot of these photo shoots for bigger brands and you're kind of out and about doing different things. And then that's how you met your wife. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then she worked for Filson. Filson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Out of Seattle. Yeah. Just some, some photo shoots here and there for these bigger brands, mainly through this uh, photographer. I know Chris Douglas, who's in Montana there, who was actually staying at his place while he was creative director of Filson. But he'd lump me in on some of that stuff and, and we'd kind of, and we'd kind of, uh, join heads on and who we could get and where we could do it and stuff like that and producing these things and also getting in front of the camera and, and things like that. But yeah, it's how I met, the, how I met my wife. And, um, yeah, that was, it was just sort of like, it was a byproduct of my early twenties of cowboying and being around ranchers and ranches. Yeah. It was more that than anything. It wasn't that I necessarily sought it out. It was that I, I just had been around that world a little bit. The opportunity came, you took it, and then it just yeah. keeps yeah, it keeps snowballing. You, we're, 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 you know, we're, I'm trying to do whatever I can, but yeah, stuff like that. Some Yellowstone stuff on that show, and, and hooked up with Taylor Sheridan and things like that. What'd you do on the show? Uh, just on, he was he asked me over to play some music actually, and he liked one of my songs and wanted to use it. And um, we're in talks now about using it, so hopefully Heck it all yeah. works out. Yeah. So. Yeah, obviously, you're a singer-songwriter. Yeah, when I was actually in Dubois, at, um, I got let go of that full-time cowboy outfit, and I jumped ship to the neighbors, and they had just a little herd of cattle. Just me and one other guy, but, you know, you snowed in, and it's a long winter, and I wasn't going to be a drunk, so I decided my last $300, I was going to buy a guitar and just teach myself to play, and I did, and I just started writing music, and that was kind of... People started acting like they, they liked them, and I was, you know, it's kind of flabbergasted at the fact that people actually like some of my songs, but the, my songs do come from a place of, uh, you know, hard times, and I do think I have a perspective that's unique um, that people seem to like, and I've kind of kept playing ever since. I, I don't play as much as I should, but I still write, and 
jot some stuff down now and then and try to keep writing music and playing whenever I can. That's kind of your thing, too. It's like you were saying earlier, you, you, you like the writing aspect more than anything. The writing is absolutely it, yeah. I mean, I'm not that good a guitar player. I know eight chords, but I the, the songwriting, I feel like I have a unique perspective. I can speak to some uh, deeper-seated stuff and that seems to resonate with a lot of people. And, uh, yeah, if I could make a living just being a songwriter, I'd be palm happy with that. Yeah. I don't need to be the guy on stage. That sounds miserable to me. Yeah. I hate it. Yeah, it looks cool. We but... did that with in, as far as in front of the camera too. I got it. we did the outside circle show. Um, Justin Reichert invited me into that, and that was a good time. And that was kind of what put me on stage in the beginning, and and just sort of playing in front of people and getting my music out there. He was a huge help in that. What is that outside circle? It's a deal out of Elko. They do during the National Poetry Gathering, the Cowboy National Poetry Gathering, where he does this. It's called the outside circle because it's more for the working cowboy. It's free to get in if you're a working cowboy and it's at the Star uh, Hotel. There. How do you how do you prove that? Like, well, I guess you don't have to prove it there. At some of his m- more recent events, he's made you bring a pay stub that, to show you're from a working ranch oh, okay, and then gotcha. you can get in. But I think there it's more like lax because it's a lot of working cowboys in town anyway. Because so they just Elko. like because hmm. Elko's turned into this whole commercial riding down the canyon sort of like. Like this whole, uh, what's the word for it? It's like it's it's this whole idea of what the cowboy is versus what the modern contemporary right. cowboy is actually dealing with at this point in time. Right. Whereas that's what Justin was trying to speak to is uh, the actual real working cowboy now in the songs that they write and sing about, not about you know purple skies in the canyon type stuff. Right. More yeah. about less romantic, more gritty. Yeah. Which, it's got a really good turnout and got a really good following behind it. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I never even heard of it. Yeah. So, you got to play there. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, shoot, you did like a, was your song on like a, Sh- a Shepler's commercial? Yeah, or? that's Chris Douglas again. He just invited me on some of these shoots. And then, you know, every photo shoot needs somebody singing around a campfire. So, that's what we do. And I'd play around the campfire and then they'd. Splice that track in with the visuals, and it turns out pretty cool. It's actually a really good, like, springboard for music. It just adds that extra element to it. Yeah. yeah. Damn. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I wish I was that cool. <laughs> well, it ain't, it ain't hard, Colt. You just got to be in the right place at the right time. Right. I, right. I haven't done anything right outside of the norm. So how much, uh, so there's that, and, and then how much modeling do you end up doing? A little here and there. It's It's more like tertiary stuff like in the background and just you know the whole thing was that that mentality towards those types of photo shoot was chris specifically is like real people doing the real thing versus actors or models doing the thing that you can tell they don't know how to do so his whole thing was like using real people to do the real thing right versus using already sort of platformed models to do the thing where right. you teach them in a day and then they all look like shit doing it. Yeah. Because they never done it. Yeah. They done it a day. You know, the Western, and I think the Western models are the worst because... Well, there's so many little intricacies of how you can look wrong. Yes. So the the untrained eye doesn't know what they're looking at and everything looks cool. So that's where the Chris stepped in and was like, because he edits the photos, he knows when something looks wonky or weird or stupid. Right. So he's not obviously going to edit that photo. With and I don't feel like it's that way too much about other things. It's it's when 
they're when it's just about fashion it's it's all about really just the clothes that they wear mm. and that's all dependent on what they feel like constructing whereas in the western world just in the world in general in terms of if you're trying to show active people doing things and and active models there's going to be a handful of people that see bullshit and your ropes on your saddle backwards or your hats on backwards or some dumb shit like that. Like right. I can't tell you how many things I've seen recently where their hats on freaking backwards. There's a lot of that. It's insane. Even yeah. like Clint Eastwood in this movie and or, shit. Or, it's like his like, hat's on backwards. Or just like a terribly shaped hat. Yeah. And it's just like that. So like trying to even appease that 10% that notices and then getting that 10% on board was being like, okay, that's a real deal person yeah. doing this stuff versus you're going to fool 90% of the audience, but why go for 90 when you get 100? Right, 100%. But like in the normal fashion world, do you think it's that way? Or do you think it's it's all up for interpretation? It doesn't really matter because there's no like real legacy or a certain way things are well depends on the brand it. depends on the thing depends on the clothing if you're a workwear clothing brand you better do some workwear right and you better do it with real working people if uh-huh. you're prada you're just gonna hire hot people to do hot things see that's what i'm thinking and it's like and then those kind of people they can't tell the difference yeah right you know you see some guy sitting on a fence like wearing a cowboy hat and his shirt tucked in yeah those people don't know the difference but why not capture, like I said, the entire audience versus just the people that don't know better? Yeah. Capture the actual people that are doing the thing because that's ultimately who you're marketing to. Unless it's somebody wearing it to be ironic at the bar. Right. That's who you're marketing to. Yeah. But it, it, it is surprising when you see that. And, I, I you know, I remember seeing, uh, you know, Western magazines. I was growing up, you always get a mailed to you, you know, for like Western clothes and stuff like that. And uh, usually it'd be pretty cheesy. But then there was a point where it was like half like, oh, this guy's a team roper or something that's modeling, and this person is not. It's actually hard to not be cheesy. And then you can... Anything posed is so obvious to the modern consumer because yeah. they're they're so bombarded with marketing. When something's off, they know it's off. It, it, it just makes them feel different. Yeah. But if, if, if you're actually doing the thing and then taking pictures of the thing, it's an altogether different emotional sort of catalyst right i feel like these days for sure like it's got to be more dialed it has to be because the consumer is getting smarter with what they ingest as far as marketing goes yeah you have to keep being better at what you do i mean shoot you and i can both name stuff that from like 70s 80s where it's just it's hokey as shit but it sold stuff and you know but yeah they're only going to get better because the market demands it not because they decide to get better Right. You know, meaning the brand. Yeah. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. But it's just kind of interesting seeing you from kind of going from, you know, a family that that's generations deep in, in masonry and then, you know, a few generations deep in, in the rodeo and, 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 you know, working with horses and whatnot into you cowboying and, and doing all that stuff to now working with some of these major brands and I know man it's a weird thing and I think anybody can sort of attribute that sort of foot in each world to any of this like it's it's happenstance it's all so very weird life's a weird ride it's crazy (laughs) 
It is. It is. It's it not is. like I went to school for it or studied. Like it's just you know, at a certain point, people seek authenticity, yeah. and that's if anything what I would like to sort of convey on the world. Like feed us, and we'll feed it right back in terms of imagery versus yeah. the market telling you what you should be doing. Right. Right. And. I think that just comes down to living life, mm. you know, and just it doing, does. just doing stuff, just taking doing some risks, anything, just do anything, and <clears throat> get out there and do the thing that you want to do. That's it. Uh, as simple as that. It don't matter if it makes money or not. That's yeah. all. That's not up to you. The future is not up to you, really. And I may be biased, but I feel like that Western wear is unique in that it's all about what happens on the back end that makes the fashion what it is whereas other uh what would the word be but uh, uh, other well there's trends of fashion well, are just fashion, about and then there's like it. workwear i guess okay workwear has to reflect the needs of the worker that whereas fashion reflects absolutely nothing but some some person that has an idea because it looks cool. It's like most of the high fashion stuff you couldn't walk around in. Right. That's that's the whole point of it. Whereas workwear has to have a use or it's not workwear. So all western wear is workwear. Is workwear. Western wear is workwear. That's that's its whole impetus. Like these jeans, Wrangler jeans are made the way they are because they're made for being a horseback and being used in real ranching scenarios. Mm-hmm. Same with shirts and pearl snaps. Those are made to bust away when something gets a a horn in your shirt or something, it tears away. Yeah. It's the whole point. Like it's 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 based on a need first and then fleshed out versus it being based on a look and then fleshed out. Yeah. And some harebrained idea. I've never thought about that. Yeah. Work I mean, wear. but that's Western wear. Western wear people have forgotten that that's actual actually functional work wear right. for the contemporary modern working cowboy. Yeah. They wear it stylishly specifically here in austin but it all has a use they just don't know what it is on a scale of one to ten how much do you hate austin i like austin i think austin's a great place i'm about an eight like i really hate it well you growing up in texas (laughs) i can see how you can see the uh the the transformation of that place and hate it a lot i i don't mind it but i've never really been around a big city so just the the energy of a city sort of attracts me now yeah. More than anything. I mean, I lived, in, I, I lived in San Antonio for a while, and San Antonio's quite a bit bigger than, than Austin. You know, it gets yeah. overshadowed by Austin, ironically. Do you think so? I think San Definitely. Antonio seems bigger than Austin in terms of folklore and population. Well, population, definitely. Uh, history, yes, definitely. Yeah. I mean, San Antonio's uh, one of the oldest cities in the United States. Yeah, I think it's second behind, like, Santa Fe. It's like... Uh, it's, oh well, there's there's it's the, over 300 years old. There's the one in Florida, St. Augustine, and then right. I think Santa Fe, and then I think San Antonio. Yeah, San Antonio's pretty old. Yeah, we had a 300 year anniversary like a couple of years ago. So there's a I, I don't know, man. I'm I'm new here, so this is all exciting to me. Yeah, really. it's yeah. different. I'm used to driving 80 miles for groceries. And right. Shit, so but yeah. this is fun to me. This is this is interesting, and there's energy and stuff happening. San Antonio's the only big city i've ever lived in yeah and then here in new Braunfels, that's second it's turning into a big city it's turning into a big city so this is the second biggest you know that i've lived in Uh, and honestly don't feel too much different yeah this is the 
biggest city I've ever lived in, New Braunfels, and this is the smallest city my wife's ever lived in. So it's a nice sort of we bounce ideas off each other in terms of like what what's good and bad about That's it. That's an interesting, yeah, give and take. Yeah, and you said she's from Chicago, right? Chicago, yeah, and then was Golly. in Seattle when I met her. Oof, too much. It's a lot. It's it, a lot. It ain't for me. I like having Austin an hour away. That's yeah. about perfect. Yeah, which is about what it is. I just feel like Austin is. There's just so much of a lack of identity there. It's but that's any city. Guess, that's every that, city. If you go to Seattle, they all look the same. If you go to Portland, they all look the same. If you yeah. go to L.A., they all look the same. If you, it's this, a city is known for a thing, and everybody looks like that thing. Right. Be, not every city has a lack of identity. People move there because they're interested in that thing, whatever that thing is. That makes sense. It's terrible, but it's what it is. That's cities. That's city mentality, right? You're not an independent thinker necessarily. That's why you move to a city. Well, and that's like we end up, guys like you and I end up there because we want to do something or we want to try that's something That's where opportunity out. is. Yeah, that's where opportunity is. So uh, you got a motorcycle right now. Yeah. When did you start riding motorcycles? I I had a buddy, uh, Willem Mallerny, who he was, I was in Arizona at the time. No, I think I was in Durango, and I called him up, and he was back in Ohio, and he didn't know what he was going to do, and I was like, well, shit, Willem, you got two bikes back there, right? I'm like, we need to go on a road trip. I don't know why. I've never been on a Harley in my life. I've never been on a street bike in my life, and um, I'm like, let's ride them bastards back out to Arizona, and he said, okay, you know, and he had a little sportster that I hopped on, and he had a road glide that he hopped on, and we rode them bitches from Ohio to Arizona via Florida, New Orleans. <laughs> like, we just took the long way around. You just figured it out? Just figured it out. Oh, that's scary. It was fun. We didn't do any interstates, and we didn't do hotel rooms. It was fun. Took two weeks, and it was like 5,000 miles. I've never done a long trip. It's fun. That's the only way I like to ride a bike. Yeah. The stuff around town, I, it's whatever. I get that. Yeah, because for go. me, I just want to go fast, right? Yeah. And then if I'm not going fast, I'm like, well. So I think that long trip would... I feel like I'm probably a guy that's like either want to go for a long ways or just go fast. The long ways is great. Like camping next to your bike and actually living on it. You meet so many different people than you would if you were just in a car. Like in a car, you're in your own little contained system. You're in a ca- capsule. Like yeah. On a bike, you dealing with the weather. You're dealing with when you stop at a light and somebody hollers at you like, "Cool bike. Where, where are you guys yeah. going? Where are you from? Blah blah blah." You, you smell everything. Like yeah. you, yeah. You go down in these dips and you get this thermal and then you come out and there's this cool breeze and it's like it's this it's yeah. a different way to experience the world yeah. for sure. Yeah, you see a lot of different things, and that's what's interesting too. Is well, when I moved to San Antonio, I started cycling a little bit, just to get around town and not have to pay for parking and mm-hmm. go to bars or whatever. And I would ride around the inner city on my motorcycle all the time, and you see a lot more. But whenever I started cycling, I started seeing even more. I was like seeing different buildings that I never really noticed before, different art pieces and different, like, graffiti in different places. And yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, it's different. It's interesting when you're not in that capsule of a car. Yeah, it's different. You're shut the, off. Yes, the, you really are shut off a lot mm-hmm. more than you think you are. Yeah, yeah. I rode my bike down here from Durango, and that was fun as shit. That was, like, a whole different perspective on all of it. Come across a Yano Estacado on a damn bike is... You learn to appreciate a modern car and the roadways and Yana the systems Estacado, that are in place. That? Well, it's that high ground on the West Texas. Oh. It's all that Lubbock to Amarillo country where you come in yeah. 
but you notice it on the bike. Like, you know when you're climbing that cap rock and when you're on this weird plateau with nothing on it forever, and then all of a sudden you drop off of it and it's green and lush and there's running water. Like, you don't notice that in your Fiona car. Right. You're just rolling. On a bike, you notice all of it. You're like, this is what this is what the Comanches held power over this whole region because of this, because nobody could navigate it. Yeah. Is that high... There's no discernible landscape marks, nothing. Like, that's how the Comanches had so much power, the power that they did, and that's why the Western progression was slowed on the south end, because of that thing. I mean, there's just no way across it. And that modern day, be able to just drive across it in three hours is crazy. Yeah, it is kind of crazy. And that was the whole point of the Goodnight Loving Trail, was to go around that, the south side of that, to get over to New Mexico. That was the whole point of it. It's, yeah, it's just like landscape has been so removed from modern culture as well because you don't have to worry about it or you don't have to worry about mother nature whereas if you're on a bike or on a horseback you learn to appreciate the modern conveniences for sure it would be good for people to do more of that you know well yeah for some people but some people they don't care they want to they want to have their instagram feed at any given time and and they they can stay where they want to be i leave the wild places for the wild people yeah more for us yeah I need to do more of it, you know? I feel like when I got to get somewhere, I just I got to get somewhere. Well, when you have to get somewhere, yeah. But if there's a if there's some time between here and there, a bike's the best way to go. Bike's the best way to go. Yeah. No, it truly is. So, like, you've uh, you got your hands in a lot of different pots, you know? You play music, and you've rodeoed, and you've cowboyed, and, uh, you know, you've got your hand in the the clothing world, and... and and whatnot, and um, but like, what else you kind of got going on? Because you you've told me about some business endeavors that you've been you've been doing. And man, I don't really know what we got going on at this point. Like, I'm getting into this house. I need to get that house redone and all that stuff. But there's some there's some meat on the bone in that world of of marketing and advertising in that Western community that I think could use um, some inside perspective. So that's kind of on the docket next. I got some companies I want to shop it to and um, just some just some ideas of some some really good trips and some really good things we could do that you could just shoot around. Like let us do the activity and then you just shoot around it versus planning the activity and shooting around it. Yeah. Like this is already happening. Now, where's the photographer and take photos of it? Right. So stuff like that. That's That's kind of where... I think I'm headed. Well, and you're you're in this unique kind of middle ground too, where you you've done all this very American kind of things just on your own with no nobody praising you, no real escalades along the way, and then all of a sudden you kind of find your space yourself in the space where you're in this demand, right? Where people want that character and they want that lifestyle. Yeah. And then within that space, you meet your wife. Mm-hmm. who's coming from the big city, working for the big brands. Mm-hmm. You know? And then then you get that kind of an education, too. You get the business side education of it. Yes. Yeah. And, and that perspective of it. Yeah. And that perspective is what makes you look at what these brands want and what they're shopping for. And to be able to fill that need is uh, a really interesting niche that a lot of people don't have access to. And that's kind of where you're going right now. Yeah, though. trying to. Yeah. A lot of people don't have access to that world that I know a little bit about. And, like, you can be on Instagram all day. You're not going to find the people I know. Right. You can get 
any mountain town and meet the same 10 people, but you don't know the people I know. Yeah. I can get you into those people and up in those woods. And I think that's a value I can bring to that community. Oh, big time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then, you know, we talked about your music. Do you, do you have any of that online? Or? No, nothing available right yet. We're working on it. Well, hopefully Just we'll that commercial? Something. Yeah, that commercial is a little bit of tidbit. I think Boot Barn did a... Shepler's did a song and, and, and Boot a, Barn. a little tidbit, and then Boot Barn did a little tidbit. Um, I mainly... With that stuff, I'm just being real careful to um, make sure it goes in the right direction. I don't want to, I don't want to produce it wrong. I don't want to send it out into the ether wrong. I want to make sure I capitalize on it. And you know, it's it's a fella's only got an, a, a good album or two in him. You're not. You can make up songs till the cows come home, but they're not going to be as good as your first twenty. Because so. that all comes from. I think that all comes from living it. And then once you get too comfortable, I don't know that you can write a really good song. And that's just my opinion. Yeah. Not one that cuts you to the bone. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah. It comes from that hard scrabble, 23, you know, eating peanut butter out of a jar for dinner that makes you write some gut-wrenching shit. Yeah. 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 I don't know if I... I'm the kind of guy that when I listen to music, like lyrics come like way later for me. Yeah, but you're like a rhythm guy. You're drummer I'm guy. More into you're more about like this. I'm. I think the. I think, and I know you're in the majority, but I think the statistic is seven percent of people listen to lyrics. Mm-hmm. Where I'm very much a lyric guy. Yeah. I'm very much. If you can't sing, I like it better because yeah. that means you got something to say. Yeah. And. Uh, if you can sing really well, I'm kind of I kind of tune out because you just sound too good and you're kind of like everybody else and you're just singing probably a cover. And right. if it's not a cover, it's a derivative song meaning, and you don't you're not you know, like you're not you never had this gritty thing that you went through that makes you write a gritty song. Too and that's polished. Me. Yeah, it's it's too polished. It's too it's too beat to death by the industry. Yeah, I don't think though that I don't know about that. You only got twenty good songs. I think. You only got as many good songs in you as you can come up with. Yeah, but what's a guy in a penthouse going to write about that relates to the average man? To the to the majority of people, yeah. which is the average man. Yeah. What's that guy got to say that they ain't heard already? Oh, you ain't no penthouse. No, I know. That's why I think I still have a position <laughs> still where got I can it. write from. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's like... That stuff that comes from those most desperate of times is the shit that cuts through all the bullshit of the music industry and cuts right to somebody's soul. Yeah. And they it resonates with them. Yeah. But that's just me. That's the type of music I like. I like sad shit. Yeah. 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 I like down stuff. I mean, I do too sometimes. I like it all the time. It's my favorite type of music. Yeah. Yeah. That's it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've had some, you know, there's a lot of stories and... Of course, I want them to come up naturally on this deal, but you have quite a few stories of times <laughs> that were pretty rough. and Yeah, but so does everybody. My, my, mine's just in a world that maybe a lot of people don't know stuff about. Yeah. You know, there's I, a lot of sad stories out there. I have a little bit of a foot in it, but even some stories you say, I'm like, man, I haven't dealt with that. You know, I haven't really been around Not that. specifically, but you've dealt with the feeling. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. You've dealt with that feeling. And I think that's what matters, that, that sort of universal thing that everybody can be like, I, that song made me feel something Yeah. versus it being background noise. Yeah. That's what I like 
to listen to. Yeah. That made me feel something more than anything. How many songs have you written? Man, there's a lot of bad ones, but um, probably seven or eight that I'm proud of. Yeah. Yeah. I think I still got some more in me. Yeah. It comes out when you're traveling, when I'm traveling and driving by myself, you know, 20 hour drive or something, I'll start thinking. Start That's what it takes is just for me is... Getting alone? Alone, absolute uh, isolation, especially in the middle of nowhere. It makes you just wonder, what is everybody doing out here? And I just love it. Yeah. No, it's it's true. There's something about it that'll make you wonder what. But you're in a really good band. I guess. Yeah, we're good. You're spoiled with it. Yeah, I just have such a... just. Connor's a great songwriter. He really is. You guys are great. He really is. Yeah. Yeah. The drop times. The drop times. The drop times. You got to check them out. You got to check them out. Hopefully we'll be doing something with that in the future, huh? I'm sure. Some video stuff? Yeah. Go down to the home turf? Yeah. We need to do something. I don't know. It's, uh... You guys are doing enough. Like, uh, your music speaks for itself. You guys are really good. I'd hope so, but... I, I don't know, man. I, the music is one thing. It, it's broke my heart a little bit. Yeah, well, music, it's fucking tough. Like, yeah. it's, you you can be really good, and, and no, it, it's so such a matter of circumstance. It yeah. really is just so much circumstance. I mean, I've been playing. I know so many good people, and yeah. they're just, I mean, I imagine it's like a Nashville where it's just littered with people that are good, and it's just, they're never going to be realized. Yeah. And that's similar with the Austin stuff. Right, Yeah. No, it's got to be much more. I mean, me, I'm just a drummer. It's got to be much more heartbreaking for a songwriter specifically, you know? Because for me, it's like, well, I am good enough where if I worked hard enough, I could just get a gig and be. Well, that's the thing. You can work as hard as you want. It doesn't mean you're going to be successful at it. That's what's hard about it. It's all dependent on other forces. Mm -hmm. And it's like gathering a pasture of cattle and not opening the gate. You get them all there, and then they scatter. Right. You yeah. can work all day and it wasn't you might as well have stayed in bed. Yeah. That's that's music. Yeah. It's a shit show. Oh, uh, it's true. No matter who you're in front of and where you know. you're at at what time and, and sort of your personality and who jives with it, who doesn't. But you know, as a as a drummer it's 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 like you're always needed, right? So you can always work hard pl- and be get to oh, the yeah. point where you can play anybody's stuff really well. Yeah. And then and then you're good, but to play the stuff that you want to play or play original kind of stuff, that's that's the harder, a little bit of a harder battle. Yeah, you like know? you say, like as a drummer, you could be gigging every night right. and making probably a living, but you're not going to be rich. But if you're involved in a band that you guys are all cohesive and there's history there and like the audience feels that, they know when that comes through, when it's a cohesive band that does something very well and right and you guys are all on the same path and you support each other and you sort of build each other up when one's down like that's what makes a good band yeah and like the like as a drummer i know what you like you can be busy all the time but you could also have a passion project that sends you into the stratosphere right with some real personalities behind the music as well yeah yeah well i guess we're in it together we are. You know. We are. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> as much as we can be. Well, how can people find you online? Uh, Instagram's Luke G. Darling. Um, shoot, that's about it. Music? Man. Your music's not online at all, right? It's not yet. Uh, yeah. We're working on doing something You're about waiting until it. it's absolutely perfect. Well, it's 
Yeah, yeah, <laughs> pretty much. I think I think you should just put it out there. Honestly. Yeah, that's kind of where we're at with um, doing something about it. Yeah, yeah. you should. Yeah. And and like you said, the raw is more. You're more attracted to that, and I think a lot of people would be too. And so, you, we, uh, guys like us can get caught up in the perfect production and the yeah, perfect yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. And, I just don't and, want it to be anything anything less than what a campfire version is. Like you know what I mean? Like yep. there's a certain feeling that you have to capture with that production, and a lot of people miss it. Yeah, I, I would. Just, it is hard. I just it hate is to put to it do. down wrong more than anything. It, it is hard. It's so easy to overproduce and and make everything polished, you know, and, and the best you can do it, and and then it's not really the best you yeah. can do, you know. Yeah. It's it is a weird thing. I know. I know. Well, Luke, it's been good. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on. Yes, sir. We'll do it again. Well, thanks, Colt. All right. That's it. Adios. Bye bye. <laughs> We're done with the day.